It is Christ the King Sunday. So let's talk about tithes and offerings. <laughs> Thinking, wow, how did he make that connection? And I'll tell you, there is a real connection here. It is Christ the King Sunday. If we affirm everything we believe that our reading from Luke 23 tells us about who Christ is as our King, there is always that question of what is our response going to look like? And part of our response is this whole question of tithes and offerings. When I was first ordained, I was so nervous about talking about money in church. I was so nervous about talking about money in church. And it's because as a former atheist, I had a lot of criticisms about the church. I had a lot of criticisms about Christianity. Maybe for those of you like me who were atheists or agnostics for a time, or maybe you have felt this way yourselves within the church, or maybe you've just turned on the media at times and you see the same criticisms of Christianity. I would tell you that Christians were hypocrites, the Christians were idiots, and the Christians just wanted my money. That, that's what I felt as, as an atheist. Now, of course, as I became a Christian, as I met the Lord, I realized the whole hypocrisy question, well, no, I mean, really what's behind the hypocrisy question is people saying you come into church and you don't see everybody living out their Christian life exactly like they're supposed to. You find sinners in the church. And that's because the church is a hospital for sinners. The church is full of people who are sinners saved by grace, who are being transformed. And yes, if you're looking from the outside in saying the church has to be without sin, well then the church can't have any sinners in it. And if the church can't have any sinners in it, the church ain't got anybody in it. So the church isn't full of hypocrites. The church is full of sinners saved by grace. The church also isn't full of idiots. I mean, I've met some along the way, but it's not full of idiots. When I first became a Christian, it was a shocking realization to me as I began reading some authors that I didn't have to check my brain at the door to be a Christian. Yes, there was this major faith leap that I was going to be involved in in saying yes to Jesus, but that I could ask questions. I could bring my concerns. I could really consider the evidence. And this week, it was a, a fun moment for Monica and I. We got to have a lunch with Josh McDowell. Some of you know Josh McDowell as evidence that demands a verdict, a Christian apologist who really could say, listen, you, you have to find this thing called faith along the way, this trust that is not just built on evidence, but there's a whole lot of evidence about the Bible's reliability, about the veracity of the resurrection. And so meeting Josh was a cool experience this week. And I could say to him, you had a big impact on me early on. Able to say, wow, we don't have to be idiots to be believers. Hypocrites, idiots. But then the whole question of all they want is your money. Well, the reality I realized early on, and I hope most of you have realized as well as you've come to the Lord is, Jesus and the church doesn't want your money. Um, Jesus wants all of you. It's like the little boy at the prayer meeting revival, the little urchin boy. Prayer meeting revival is going on and he's touched by the gospel, but he's got nothing, nothing to give. And as the big wicker baskets are being passed back and forth, when it comes to him, he places on the floor 
And this little urchin boy sits himself inside the basket and says, I'll give me. I mean, that's the picture of stewardship. That's what the Lord wants. He wants all of us. And so we need not be afraid to talk about money in the life of the church. We need not be afraid to talk about tithes and offerings. Let's talk about it openly, without fear. Because to ask the question, why do Christians do this crazy thing of bringing our tithes and offerings? The answer is because we know the Lord. We personally know the Lord. When we come to know the Lord, when we come to personally find that God is invested in us, that he has a relationship with us, that he's actively involved in our lives, part of what emerges out of that relationship is a desire to bring our tithes and offerings. To look at that today, we're going to look at this passage from Genesis 14 with Abram and Melchizedek. In verse 20 of chapter 14, we read that Abram gave him a tenth of everything. He gave him a tithe. Now, quickly, before we go any further, I need to unpack what tithes and offerings means because it's highly controversial and uh, misunderstood and argued about in the life of the church. A tithe and an offering, they're two different things. The tithe in Scripture is that one-tenth, is the 10% that was an obligation. Yes, I'll say the word obligation to the Lord. Israel was required to bring this to the temple of the Lord, one-tenth of their possessions. It was brought to the temple as an act of worship. But it didn't stop there. Some people will say the New Testament is where we move beyond tithes you know, greater than a tithe. No, the Old Testament is greater than a tithe. Because on top of the tithe, there were all these additional offerings that were brought to the temple. You had the, when you read Leviticus chapters one through eight, you get five different types of offerings. You get a burnt offering, which consists of a bull or a ram or a bird. You get a grain offering, which is grain, flour, olive oil, baked bread, salt. You get the peace offering, any animal without defect from your herd or flock. You get a sin offering, a goat or a dove or a pigeon or flower, depending on your wealth, and a guilt offering, which was a ram. I mean, after listing all those, aren't you ready for Thanksgiving dinner this week? I mean, it's amazing, an amazing picture, because the household of God really was a place where meals went on right? The tithes and the offerings were brought in, and part of their job was to feed the priests, to feed the Levites, to feed the community, and to feed the poor. Today, we're going to be packing up, as many of you know, packing up 500 Thanksgiving meals to take out in the community. And if you've been sort of on the fence about whether you want to get involved in that, helping pack up those meals, or whether you want to be part of delivering those meals, just as a final advertisement, we're doing that today. I mean, taking these offerings in God's name out in the community. So, tithes and offerings, this is above 10%. This is our 10% and beyond. Some have said that the New Testament does away with tithing. You've heard that. The blogs are full of that. Uh, the New Testament's done away with tithing. And I would say, personally, that's not true based on my reading of the New Testament. Um, what the New Testament has done away with is a righteousness that comes from the law. So just to be clear, the New Testament has done away with the idea that you can get saved through your tithing. 
That's what the New Testament has done away with. You can't earn God's favor. You can't have merit before God because of what you give. Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it, right? Not not an iota, not a dot will drop away from it. So Jesus is affirming in his own ministry that he's not doing away with the law, he's fulfilling it. And the way Jesus fulfills it, by the way, when we sometime next year get into a lengthy uh, discussion on the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus does as he interprets the law, as he fulfills the law, is he actually raises the bar on it. You know, Jesus doesn't make it easier to follow the law, Jesus makes it harder. Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, But I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery with her. Wow, Jesus, I I want the law of Moses back, just as it was. I mean, when Jesus interprets the law, he makes it harder. So Jesus has not done away with tithing. In fact, he even teaches tithing in Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, it's a criticism of the Pharisees, but you got to read this carefully. What does Jesus say about tithing? He says, to the scribes and the Pharisees who thought their tithing made them righteous before God. He puts that to death. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, there's that word again, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, what he does there is he says, I'm not doing away with tithing. Tithing's not the problem. Your heart is you think that your tithe satisfies some kind of righteousness before God. It doesn't. You're called to live a whole righteous life before God. So the New Testament concept is not away with tithing. The New Testament concept is beyond tithing. Radical generosity. As 2 Corinthians 9 says, God loves a cheerful giver. And I think this concept of percentage giving, in case it makes you feel uncomfortable and you're like, why is he talking about it? I think it's important because it was important in my life as a Christian early on. It's important because it gives us at least a a starting standard to say, what is the New Testament? What is the Old Testament? What is the Bible sort of saying? What's the baseline of where generosity really begins? Because for me, when I first became a Christian, I thought dropping $5 in the plate was sacrificial giving. I had no baseline. I said, that's, that's a lot. That's like two Starbucks coffees. Come on. Now it's like worth one Starbucks coffee. But back then. But the point is that for me, that was radical generosity. And then all of a sudden I heard this 10% as a sort of baseline. And I really struggled with this. Monica and I, when we were first married, we were still both kind of baby Christians I just thought, I don't know if we can, we can live this way. I think this is crazy. Monica, much more faithful than I, she just said, this is what we need to do. So she rightly sent me on to talk to our pastor. And so I went to my pastor and I said, okay, this doesn't work. And he said, what do you mean? I said, this, does, this is totally impractical. I said, I'm a student, right? I've got very little money. Okay, I can see that now, 10% as a baseline. I guess that makes sense. But I said, I'm anticipating, back then I didn't think I was going to be a priest, I'm anticipating making a lot more money in my life, you know? And when that increase in wealth comes, are you, you can't honestly think that I'm expected to bring 10% of that into the church and beyond. 
And the pastor was great. He said, okay, Paul, this is good. I know how to pray for you. I'll pray that your income never grows much so that you're never going to feel this is, you know, an incompatible call in your life. Man, that hit me right between the eyes. There is good news in the Bible for those who struggle with tithes and offerings. And I think the good news is right here in Genesis 14. You're thinking, will he finally get to the text? Let's look at Abraham and Melchizedek. Chapter 14 of Genesis, I think it's chapter 10, page 10 in your pew Bibles or you know, whatever your code is to get onto your iPhone. Ever since the Lord, ever since Abram met the Lord back in chapter 12, two chapters earlier, I'd argue that he has a growing desire to give tithes and offerings to the Lord. He's longing to bring tithes and offerings to the Lord because he knows this God who's reached out to him. He's, he's knowing more and more. And here's what he knows about God so far. Here's what he knows about the Lord. In just these two short chapters, which spanned a number of years, Abram knows God as possessor of heaven and earth, the owner of everything. Abram knows God not only, not only as possessor, but also as provider. And Abram knows God as his protector. Possessor, provider, protector. Verse 19, he knows God as possessor. Verse 19 says, Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And I love this because it's reminding us, it's not just that God is the creator, but the biblical view is that in that creation moment, in the way that God created the heavens and the earth, that it also claims his ownership over it. You see, right at the beginning, the very first verses of the Bible affirm God's ownership over all creation. Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. And there's a word in there, bara. Bara, created. And throughout the whole Bible, bara is never used of any human being. Only Elohim, only Yahweh, only God Baraz. Only God creates. At the, at the root of the creation story is this one who uniquely has formed and made the earth and therefore owns it. It's his. It's like that joke you've heard of, you know, the scientists of the world get together with all their amazing, amazing acrobatic physics and, and ability to clone and genes and all the rest. And, and they, they finally sort of call out to God in arrogance, oh God, you know, we, we now can create life. You're not needed anymore. And God in that moment actually comes down and says, okay. And the scientists are a bit shocked. Okay, we didn't think God would show up, but Let's have a little contest here. The scientists want to demonstrate to God that they can make life just like God makes life. And so they get in their lab and, and the rest, and, and, and God says, well, you know, when I made humanity, I made them out of the ground. And the scientists get together and they say, well, you know, ground, okay, molecules, we can, okay, we can take the ground molecules and we can break those apart. And so they get some dirt, and then God says, oh, no, 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 get your own dirt, It's funnier in my head, but the point is that <laughs> if I said it in French in Canada, people would lose their minds. Um, but the point is that the point is that God owns everything He's made, and this is what Abram knows. He knows as we pray before the offertory sometimes, all things come of Thee, O Lord, 
and of thine own have we given thee. God, Abram knows God as, his, as the possessor of heaven and earth. He also knows God as provider. You see, he's won a great military victory. In, in verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, verse 18 says. Melchizedek, who is a priest, is coming out and doing a priestly thing. He is laying out bread and wine before Abram and his troops. And it's this moment of remembrance. He's saying to Abram in that moment, remember that God has provided for you. I'm going to provide for your troops in the name of God as a reminder for you that everything you have has been provided by God. Bread and wine, it's all God's. It's all God's provision. And this is why Thanksgiving is so core and critical to what it means to be a believer in Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, is to be given those moments to give thanks to God. When I was a new Christian, I was taught, uh, and I thank God for this mentor in my life. Uh, the ladies heard this on Monday night when I talked about gratitude. Um, we had a wonderful turnout Monday night. Almost 300 ladies came out together for that women's event on Monday night. And they heard me talk about gratitude. And there I talked about this, this gift that was given to me early on from my mentor who said, Paul, you need a more thankful heart. So we said, every day, do your daily 20. And what that daily 20 is, before God, in your journal or vocally before God, I journal, write down 20 things that you're thankful for. And you may say, that's easy. When your heart's not very thankful, it ain't easy. I mean, I get the first five really easily. Monica, Annabelle, Sophie, Jane, Erica, Kira Lee. It's kind of like my daily 15 on top of my five. But I'll tell you, when my heart's in a bad place, it's hard. I'll get to about six, seven, eight, nine. And then I'm searching. I'm like, and thank you for the coffee in my cup. And I mean, it's hard. But I'll tell you, as I go through that day after day, as I'm forced through that daily 20, it's amazing how my heart begins to transform. That as we begin to acknowledge and remember how much God has provided us, we are transformed. Abram knows God as his possessor. He knows God as his provider. And he knows God as his protector. In verse 20, Melchizedek says, And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. You see, Abram knows that these battles he's fought are far too big for him. God has shown up in a mighty way. Do you know in chapter 14, this battle that takes place uh, where Lot gets captured, and that's why Abram goes after to save Lot, there are nine kingdoms battling in chapter 14. Nine kingdoms. And Abram walks in with his army and rolls right over them. I mean, Abram's looking at this saying, there is no way that this could have happened. It's like Psalm 124 says, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel now say, if the Lord had not been on our side, our enemies would have swallowed us, uh, uh, would have swallowed us up whole. He knows God's protection. And all of this, this knowledge that God is his possessor, God is his provider, and God is his protector. All of this has led Abram to long to give his tithes and offerings. And the question before Abram in these couple chapters is who can receive it? Who can receive it on God's behalf? 
You see, there's no temple yet. There's no set up structure for who can receive on God's behalf. And so can you imagine his joy in verse 18? When for the first time in his walk following God, someone comes to him named Melchizedek, king of Salem. He was priest of God most high. Finally, Abraham says, finally, Abram. He's not Abraham yet, next chapter. But finally, Abram says, finally, I can give my tithes and offerings to someone who can receive it in God's name. I mean, I know that's how all of you see me when you see me walking through the parking lot. You go, oh, Paul, I can give you my money because you can receive it on God's behalf, right? That's, well, let's find that, right? No, no. Um, get it, get, we'll get pictures and t-shirts. Um, but, but in all seriousness, here's the reality is Abram sees this guy as, as, as a representative of God. Finally, I can give my tithes and offerings and one who speaks in God's name can receive them on God's behalf. Abraham's tithes and offerings declare this. They declare, I know God as my possessor, my provider, and my protector. And our tithes and offerings declare the same. Isn't that cool? Like when we're, when we're giving our tithes and offerings, we're declaring, I know God personally as my possessor, my provider, and my protector. And that's where that cheerful giving comes from, that responsive, cheerful giving. But of course, what does it mean then when a human being doesn't bring tithes and offerings to the God who made the universe, who provides, possesses, and protects? Well, this is where it gets hard. If our tithes and offerings declare that we know God as possessor, provider, and protector, then our not tithing and giving offerings means possibly that I don't know him. And that's fair enough. I don't talk to non-believers about tithes and offerings. I talk to them about the need to know Jesus. So there's the truth. Until you know the Lord, you can't really hear about tithes and offerings. That's fair. But secondly, not giving tithes and offerings can mean that I've never been taught. I've preached like this in other Anglican churches before, and I've had people at the door say to me, I've never heard a sermon like this, ever. Ever. Um, Well, now we're talking about it. I know that Christ Church has heard about this many, many times. Third, it could mean not giving tithes and offerings means that I've forgotten or I've become compromised. We've had mammon get a hold of our life, And the call then always is to repent and smash that idol and return to the Lord. Or, and this is harsh, I know, but hear this because it's biblical, I have to to say it. Sometimes we don't bring our tithes and offerings and what that declares is, I'm content to steal from God. Ooh, I know. It's like a sucker punch, isn't it? But that's what Malachi 3 says. I know it's not a happy verse to quote, but it's God's breathed out scripture. Malachi 3.8 says, Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. I mean, part of the problem sometimes is that we know better, but we just are quite content to steal from God. Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 was happy to do that. I was happy to do that. And so we repent, we return. See, there's good news here, though, friends, for those struggling with tithes and offerings. As I said at the beginning, this is all based on the response to a personal relationship 
that God has initiated with us. Jesus says in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. God reached out to us in our sin, in our brokenness. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the root of our relationship with God, his initiative. And what's amazing, therefore, is that Abram's story, this story of God reaching out to this man in chapter 12, verse 1, God who speaks to Abram out of nowhere, it seems. Abram didn't seek after God. God sought, sought after Abram. That story becomes our story. It becomes our story. We know God as the one who's initiated a relationship with us. We know God as our possessor, as our provider, and as our protector. And do you know what I love? Is that Hebrews 7, Hebrews 7 tells us that Melchizedek was meant to be a forerunner of Jesus. Melchizedek was meant to be a picture of the true high priestly ministry of Jesus. Do you know what king of Salem means? It means king of righteousness. And so therefore, I want you to hear these words from Genesis 14. And I'm going to read them again with Jesus as the, as the actor, not as Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek was pointing to Jesus. Hear these words. It is not Melchizedek who provides for us. It is God himself in Christ Jesus, Christ the King. Hear these words. These good news words. And Jesus, King of Righteousness brought out bread and wine. He was the true high priest of God Most High. And he blessed, fill in your name, and said, blessed be, fill in your name, by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and fill in your name, you gave him a tenth of everything. This is the root of our giving. This is the root of our tithes and offerings because God has loved us this much. Provider, possessor, protector. It is Christ the King Sunday. How do we respond? With our tithes and offerings. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.